This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad? Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. We are looking at the people, thousands there on the ground. They, What's they happening seem right to be now? Oh, wow, they're, right now. they're moving across. What's going on? I'm, I'm not certain what oh we're doing here. Wow. Oh, my gosh. A giant. Uh, <gasps> oh, my gosh. This is very dangerous. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I, I, I'm not I, sure I how that, what we've that, just seen. that vehicle made its way to being he, surrounded. I, I, I've seen a lot of people talking about, like, oh, like he didn't intentionally hurt, want to hurt people. Like, he stopped. You know, he could have kept going. He could have definitely hit people. The one thing I want people to know is from where the guy was and how far the cars were backed up, there's no single way that he would have been able to maintain that kind of speed and get to the point of the protesters without having at least some sort of intent of doing it, right? TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. Welcome into the show today, Mackie and Judd, and we'd love to dive back into sports. There's sports things to talk about today. Major League Baseball Players Association has a new proposal out to play regular season games through the end of October. We've got a full stash of fun Vikings things to talk about, but the last time we spoke to you was Friday. So many things have happened from Friday night through Saturday night through last night. And off the top of the show there, you heard a clip we're going to play later on in the show here. One of Declan's college friends was peacefully protesting on the 35W Bridge, and that was that was his first-person thoughts and account of the semi-truck that sped somehow through a group of thousands of protesters and no serious injuries to either uh, the protesters or him getting pulled out of the truck. And so yeah. there's, a, there's a million things we want to dive into here today. We appreciate you sticking with us here. The last three months without live sports, the last month has been tough just for us at Score North because we had to say goodbye to a bunch of teammates and then all of this in the last week or so. But guys, let's there's there's 50 things we can talk about. Let's start with your thoughts on a semi truck in the middle of this peaceful protest on 35W barreling through some people. And I feel, I feel like everything is politicized now. And so I think depending on where you lean politically or depending on where you lean in terms of what you saw, some people are adamant this dude knew exactly what he was doing. This dude sped up and we're lucky that 100 people didn't die. And other people are saying, well, wait, hey, he got on the bridge somehow either through a mistake by MnDOT and the state or he was on the bridge after it had closed. A half hour after the freeways had been closed at 5 o'clock, too. That's what I don't get. Um, can we actually start off with before we get to the exact specifics of the truck, can we start off with what you just said, though, which is I'm going to make a plea right now 
for us to drop the politics, and I don't mean our show, I mean the country, disassociate yourself. Eventually, when the elections come, I would urge you not to vote for for the politician in your party, but the people that you think are the smartest and best, okay? That's that's what I, I would urge. But why and how on earth and how much are we losing sight of what's going on, not in this state now, not in this state, in this country, by our being wedded to our politics. Like we're, we're, we keep saying, and it's a lot of white folks across the board. Me too. We keep saying, um, George Floyd's death should not be in vain. And we need to learn. It's time that we learn. And and a lot of people are marching and I think they're young and that is great. And I do believe that those young people are not people like me. Okay. I, I, I fear, I fear the 50 year old white guy, which is what I am probably the most right now because we're older and we get stuck in our ways. But if we're really going to learn from this and move on from this, and and when we do move on, land in a better place, Phil, we can't do it if right now we are wedded to our political beliefs and that's all that we see. We can only do it if we open up our eyes and realize, you know what, for 45 years, let's say in my case, um, for 35 years, I I have thought a certain way. And you know what, 35 years ago, I might have thought right. I might have been right because 35 years is a hell of a long time, but things are different now. And if we're going to get to a point where where we say we want to be now, which is I think most of us are absolutely disgusted by what we saw with with George Floyd's death, then we need to do it not by hugging what we used to know and basically using politics, in my opinion, right now as a shield. We need to open up our eyes and understand that things might have changed. And you know what? I hate to say this, folks, but some of us might be making mistakes right now by believing what we believed 35 years back. So that's where I would like to start, because a a truck damn near killed a lot of people. And I don't know how it didn't happen. Thank God it didn't. But when that immediately turns into political hot potato and beliefs, what the hell are we doing? I'm glad you went down this path because I think you're 100% right, and I I am guilty of this. I think on our show, you know, I'll just speak for myself. Politically speaking, I lean more left than right. I have voted for Republican presidents in the past. I have voted for Republican politicians in the past. I lean more left than right, probably more now than even like five or ten years ago. I might sway in my life. So like full transparency, but I think we pride ourselves as much as we can on this show of – You come to us not for politics. You come to us for sports. And you come to us to talk about whether Kirk Cousins is overpaid and should get a contract extension. And we disagree with you all on things like that. And at the end of the day, our bond is through a shared love of Minnesota sports and sports in general. And I would hope that we have created at least a platform here on our show that when things do dip into social events, police brutality, Colin Kaepernick protest, Adrian Peterson taking a switch to a four-year-old kid, right? We are opinionated. We take strong stances. We are also open-minded. You know, we don't take live phone calls on this show very much anymore because it's uh, it's podcast and YouTube first, a lot of the stuff that we do. Um, but I, I think, just to circle back to your point, because I have been guilty of this too, We look at everything through a political lens more now than at any point in my 35 years on Earth and probably your 50 years on Earth and certainly Declan's 20-some years on Earth. And I think 
we dig in and refuse to move off of opinions and we dig in and refuse to just listen, period, to people. Mm-hmm. And my biggest gripe, we were sitting here, we're seven days into this now. George Floyd was killed a week ago. And the protests and riots and demonstrations have escalated. I think they peaked on Friday night and they've de-escalated to some extent Saturday into Sunday. And now I think you're seeing the the peak of certain demonstrations across the country. Chicago, Washington, D.C. last night, uh, Los Angeles, Seattle, everywhere. And I think what's really frustrating is this noise around our state and this noise around our country is not random. It's not just like you you can't write it off as just, oh, it's just a bunch of opportunistic clowns looking to steal a TV. Like, yes, there are opportunistic clowns looking to steal TVs. Yes, there are Antifa members looking to infiltrate protests and spike them toward violent riots. There are also documented reports and photos of white supremacist groups, whether it's this week or throughout the last couple of years or whatever. Um, there's also people, I think, local, frustrated, acting out more than they ever have in their lives. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest mistake, whether you lean right or left politically, whether you believe Kirk Cousins should have signed an extension or not, I think the the biggest mistake we can make here is to just say, well, you just got to we just have to mace this whole problem. We just have to use brute force violence to get let's just send the National Guard into every city and just beat this problem back into the ground. Right. And then move on with our lives. This like this. This is boiling for a reason. I don't have the answers, but I know the answer isn't to just beat the problem back into the ground. You know, maybe that's. Maybe that's an interesting way of phrasing it, but that's sort of the, the irony that we're sitting in here now and ignore and move forward. That would be a huge mistake. And I I just wish that we could be better as a state and better as a country and better as humans and friends to each other. And say, "All right, let's let's not get distracted. Let's not get distracted by like the things that don't let's not get distracted by uh you know the t-shirt that Colin Kaepernick is wearing or this like let's let's dig to the core discussion. Right. Have it right. uncomfortably and then decide if we agree or disagree. I also think we are to the point of now, if we are serious about change, and I say if, because to me it's a big if. And and I really feel bad for for the people now who marched in the 60s and thought that they made progress and must now be saying, my God, you people, what are you doing? What are you doing? But I also think we are to the point of if you want Colin Kaepernick to go away and you just think he's an idiot or you think that this whole thing should, you want your America back and this is not your America. I'm not saying this across the board for everybody, but I think we are now talking about a lot of bullies and I think that those people need to be told to shut up and sit down. And if you want to believe what you, I'm not going to change your mind. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not implying that I can change these people, Phil, but I do think that we, after what we've seen and keep in mind too, Colin Kaepernick, And there were missteps, to be very clear. He did not do it perfectly. But what Colin Kaepernick tried to point out was not because he saw an isolated incident in Orlando, Florida, and he thought, I'm going to take this opportunity with one thing. We know for a fact, how many many black people do we need to tell us that they get scared when they see lights not even on, cops in their rearview mirror, the people that are supposed to protect us, the people that I think, in fairness, if... Uh, Judd Zolgad or Phil Mackey or Declan Goff is driving down the freeway for the most part. They they think t- to themselves, oh, it's a cop. No, no big deal. OK, mm-hmm. these people are afraid of cops. 
Um, I really think we are to the point of if you're going to shout down everybody and say Colin Kaepernick should never, you know, that as somebody said, that SOB, those SOBs, you know, fire them. Okay, those people now need to be told you need to go away like you are. We will never as long as they exist with voices in our society, you will never solve this problem. And ladies and gentlemen, no matter what you think, I'm going to tell you something right now. Do you like seeing your city burn? Because that's what's going to continue to happen. And it might be once every 20 years. I don't know. It might be in 30 years. I'll probably be dead and gone the next time that this might happen. But it could. It very well could if we don't change things. And I don't care who you are. Are you telling me that your comfort in being a bully is more important, is the most important thing? And if every 30 years you got to see things burn, that's fine. Who the hell are you then? And I'll add to are you comfortable and okay with seeing National Guard and policemen literally macing people? Like, I understand there's there's a protest and there's people that are outside past curfew, but are you, like, openly cheering and applauding that we're now to the point where you are satisfied with seeing people being maced and not assaulted, but ran across the street and, and pushed in, into corners and stuff? Like, does that actually... You enjoy seeing that? See, here's the thing. A lot of people, and maybe even people who, are, who listen to us... Would say, hell yeah. I know. Because th- you know, those thugs shouldn't be in the street. And I would be really careful for anyone using the word thug. Yeah, I would not no use kidding. to describe I, I'm like, with you on go this. go look at the demographic makeup of the peaceful I'm talking about the peaceful protesters. Yeah. That's not just a quick side street here. I think what we're finding out here, uh lumping thousands of people into one group is a mistake here. You have essentially three or four different groups of people here and some kind of blend in together. And and there's probably some overlap on a Venn diagram, but group number one is people who are looking to peacefully, but also aggressive in their tone and aggressive in their action in terms of taking over a freeway, uh, peacefully protest police brutality and peacefully protest. I think there's two things uh, that are being protested here on a 30,000 foot level. It's police brutality, and it's systematic, uh, uh, I would call it systematic oppression or yeah. or call it 400 years of the way black people have been treated in America and this land before it was officially the United States of America. That has led to the communities that they live in and some of the educational situations that they're in. And like, this is where I kept getting, you know, as I started tweeting, I lost like 200 followers on Twitter. And I and I promise I have not tried to be overly political with this. I think it's a humanity issue more than anything else. I think it's about listening when someone is crying out for you to help them yeah. and for change to be uh, to be had. And the response I get back all the time, and we're going to talk to John Thomas, by the way, who went to Roosevelt High School in the backyard of where all of this has been happening and uh, he's the vice president for community engagement for the Timberwolves. And it's just a wonderful voice on this. We'll talk to him here in 10 or 15 minutes on the show. But when white people say, well, listen, there's nothing. There's no, there are no longer any legal restrictions on what black people can and can't do. This isn't the 60s anymore. This isn't the 18. This isn't the 1860s or the 1960s. And that is correct. Like really, legally. Black people are allowed to eat in restaurants that white people are unlike yeah. 40, 50 years ago in certain parts of the country, right? Mm-hmm. But I think to ignore the boiling that we're seeing in our country and to ignore everything that led us to this point 
by just saying, well, listen, I mean, I was born in the 80s. Like, what do you want me to do? I I didn't I, I didn't know any slaves is another thing. Like, I didn't I, you know, I, right. I didn't I wasn't I wasn't, uh, you know, anti civil rights movement in the 1960s. Right. Like, don't blame it on my great great. You know, Don't blame it on me. It's my great 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 grandfather's problem. And I and I listen and I and I hear that side of it too. Like there's a lot of people who are you're born after all of this. You're born after the civil rights movement. You were born maybe in the 80s or 90s, like me and Declan. And you're frustrated because like it ain't my fault. Don't you know? Don't blame me. Yep. And I don't think anyone's saying that it's your fault. I think I think what people are saying, what black people are saying, is listen to me, please. Put yourself in my shoes. Put yourself in my world. And with my background and with my upbringing and my heritage and try to see it from my side of the fence. The interesting thing, I think, as well, and thank God for this, is is I actually think um, kids or people Declan's age are doing a great job here. They're joining the protest. They care. I, the ones that are lighting buildings on fire, I would draw well, the line there. But, those yeah. are, but but those are a different breed of people. But I think the major, I think a lot of the kids I've seen out on that bridge, a lot of, and they're white, um, and they are, and and the thing I, I was going to say that the one thing that hasn't turned this into a complete disaster, thank God, is it does seem to me like, especially young, but white and black are joining together. This is not this is this is not a riot of white against black, which it's been before. That's what it was in the 1960s. This is not that. Um, But but I think that those people, for the most part, have done a great job. I think what this is, is black people and people joining together, rightfully so. And this is not to say that there are there are all bad cops. But I think that there's a lot of authority figures, including cops, who have abused and pushed and have no regard, especially for black people at all. And this is now them saying this has to stop. And that's the thing is, how can you argue that? How can you argue that? How can you say, how can you look at a tape of of a cop kneeling on a man's neck for, what, nine minutes and come away and be like, yeah, but you don't understand that. You don't know. There's nothing to get from that. He should be. He should be convicted easily. Knock on wood. I fear he. It might not be easily, but he should be. Um, but this is as cut and dry to me as it comes. This is a group of people, rightfully so, saying, "Why should we be afraid of?" And to me, this is the key word: authority. Authority. Yeah. Now, now these these, and I don't know what they are: skinheads, um, white supremacists. I, I, they they're scary. And they hide in the shadows. And they're for the most part, or not for the most part, they are gutless. But we're talking about what this, the, I think the basis of these protests start with being afraid of authority. Like, how can you, I don't care who you, what you support, what you believe, how can you ever think, well, it's good that some people are afraid of authorities who are supposed to protect you? What's the Minneapolis police motto? Serve and protect with compassion, right? Is that what it is? Yeah. Does it say compassion? I would guess that's what it is. <laughs> no, but I, that, but, that, but but that's that to me is where this is a non-negotiable. Let's debate this. No, but, there's no debate. But here's the thing: like this is just off what you just said. So I don't, as a white guy who was born in the suburbs, and like you know the the four times I've been pulled over in my life, you know, four or five times for speeding or whatever it is, like. Like the like the most nervous I've ever been is I don't know like 
am I going to get the ticket or not? Like, that's how, ner- like, right. are they going to let me off with a warning or, oh, my God, I'm nervous, I'm making a ticket, not, like, drug out of my car or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think we have to feel comfortable in some ways saying, like, I can't have an opinion about how a black person feels when they're being pursued in any way by a police officer if I've never been a black person pursued by a police officer. And so, therefore, if I don't have the knowledge base to put myself in their exact scenario and say, like, listen, if if I were a black person and I had experience being pursued by a police officer, then I could have an opinion and say either, yeah, absolutely, or wait a second now, like, I disagree. Right. And so the be- I think the best thing that we can do if you don't have that sort of first-person experience is to listen and to empathize and to at least hear someone out and hear a group of people out. And I just want to circle back because I think it's a really important point in that from all the co- – and I've, I've tried to, you know, just in my quest for knowledge here over the past 72 hours, uh, two things that I've tried to do. One, reach out and ask questions and talk to my African-American friends and just say, listen, like, what what's the path forward here? Just try and soak in as much as possible. My wife and I also went to the Broadway area of North Minneapolis on Saturday. Like, you know, what can we do? I, let's let's just go buy some supplies and drop them off at one of the big drop zones at the U.S. Bank, which is literally in the middle of like smoldering buildings and stuff. And so, like, I just I I felt, and I'm not saying this like at all to like pat myself. I'm saying my weekend was was spent thinking and learning and trying to put myself in the shoes of a group of people that I can't directly relate to because of my upbringing. And with that, I think it's important to restate black people are not blaming white people for creating the circumstance. And I should clarify white people who were born, like if you're 50, 40, whatever, like, listen, if you were a white person born in the 1600s, well, you might have some questions to answer, but But if you're if you're you me like black people aren't saying Judge Logan you caused this mm-hmm. Phil Mackey Declan Goff you guys caused this what they are saying is 400 years of circumstance has led to where we are now in two very very difficult to pull apart categories police brutality and the systematic oppression and economic I would say depression of black communities and education, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And again, they are not saying this is your fault for putting us in this situation. You dig us out. They are saying this is a problem. What can we do to get out of this problem? And I, and I, and I, I did appreciate because sometimes when protests and uprisings happen, there's a lack of clarity on well, what, okay, what is it that needs to be done? What do you need? And I don't have the list in front of me, but uh, the organizers of the peaceful protest yesterday and Saturday and going back to Friday, uh, I believe PJ Hill is the lead organizer of a lot of these protests. He's on Instagram. You can follow if you're if you're if you're really curious about what is it do they want? They laid out three or four specific things that they want to the state of Minnesota, to Governor Tim Walls. And so now can we sit there now and agree or disagree? Like, Absolutely. Let's have a debate over these. One of those things was get Mike Freeman off the case, put Keith Ellison on the case. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let's have a discussion about that specifically. Okay, that's something tangible. We can I don't think we didn't do on this show, but um, but that is a tangible thing that we can now have. This is what this is what the protesters want. One of the four things. Now we can have an actual conversation. And so I think listening and being open minded and understanding that 
You don't have to feel attacked necessarily as a white person or feel like you don't have to feel like overly guilty or anything. It's just about, all right, flip it around. If this were you and you were in this situation and you're crying out for help and saying, listen, like we want better education. We want better communities. We don't want to be we don't want to feel like we're going to die every time we come across a police officer. Like what other things we can do to change that circumstance and to sit there and slam a door in someone's face when they ask for that. Just because of the way that they're asking for it, to me, is so irresponsible. So, yeah, it's, off it, my it, soapbox. Well, no, it's completely sad, too. It's completely sad. The, the, only, the only parallel, and this is a small one, that I can draw with, with how I feel today, and, and then if I, if I try to put myself in the shoes of the black community, the only thing that I can say is, I really didn't do a, a damn thing on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. And this morning I'm exhausted. Okay. Oh my so, god. So, so, but it but, is hard to like go but, back to your but work week. Imagine how. Imagine. Imagine if you are a black person who has gone through this for years and years. Imagine if every day felt to them like I do today. Yeah. Like the exhaustion of being, um, um, in air quotes, beaten down just continually. And. That's the only thing that I can say, you know what, man, if I felt like this every day, every day, because right now I'm just, I'm, I'm drained, I'm exhausted. And I didn't do a thing but watch this from my couch. Mm -hmm. That's what I did. I've thought about it. I feel terrible. I feel at different times, disgusted, mad, sad, scared, angry, Uh, but I didn't do a thing. And then imagine if those emotions that the gamut of emotions that I just threw out there is your life. And then not to have empathy for that? Who the heck are you? Yeah. So. Um, you can tweet at us, at Phil Mackey, at Jay Zolgad, at Dex's Tweets. You can email pmackey at scorenorth.com, jayzolgad at scorenorth.com. We are so excited at some point to talk about sports again. But this is, I think we're going to look back at this week, and this is going to be one of those weeks in a much different way, but like the, everyone remembers where they were the week of nine 11 and the fallout. And like, this is a, yeah. this is a, a, a major historical moment in our state and country's history. And who knows what's going to become of it? Who knows if there's going to be various changes or if it was just a wild week of riots and protests. And I, we don't know where this leads, but I think we all felt it this weekend that this is something we're all going to remember. I'll say this too. Um, as far as sports being gone, and or you know, sports is fun. Sports is not life or death. I completely get that. But sports, one thing sports does might be the best thing it does, and why we miss it or we're going to miss it so much right now. It it heals. It heals. It's one of the very few things in life that does not pay attention to color. Does not pay attention, um, at least at games or at events, um, uh, to your gender. It pays attention to your team. Or what draws you there. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, for the most part, if you go to a Twins game, you don't think to yourself, who am I sitting by here? You might talk to them about the game. Sports heals. And to not have that diversion, even for two and a half to three hours right now, really, really stinks. Because I do think it would at least help us a little bit. Yeah. Um, I guess, and we'll dive into this maybe tomorrow or Wednesday. The good news on the sports front is... The Baseball Players Association did come back with a like, – yeah. they snuck it in on a Sunday night. It was like a Sunday night news dump. Yes. Yep. They want to play regular 114 <laughs> regular season games through the end of October. Yep. 
And then obviously a team, a team like the Twins would have to figure out if, if they make it to November baseball, what do they do? Like, do you play somewhere else? But it, it kind of felt like their proposal was close enough and like financially it's a part, but like, I think they're going to figure it out is my point here. I think we're going to get so. baseball in a month. I hope you're now. right. I hope, you, I hope you're right. <laughs> I don't know. I have so. faith in them, but I hope you're right. Me too. Uh, there's still so many things to get to. I, I, we, we do need to get into this truck driver discussion because I think it, it's like you can break down the tape a hundred different times and see different things. And uh, I think we'll get to that discussion. All of these reports and accounts, and I saw some, Declan saw some in our neighborhoods of unmarked no license plate vehicles driving around the Twin Cities and yeah, all I the different to, reports yeah. of different fire and flammable and explosive things being planted around neighborhoods. And like, there's just a lot to get to. Um, but we're going to talk to John Thomas when we come back here. He's the vice president of community engagement for the Minnesota Timberwolves. John Thomas is a basketball legend at Roosevelt High School, obviously played for the Gophers, played in the NBA and um, has been big in the community. But Roosevelt... Minneapolis Roosevelt, I believe, is like eight or ten blocks away from Cup Foods on 38th in Chicago. And so this is sort of John Thomas's backyard. And so we'll talk to him. Um, let's talk about Federated here for a brief moment, too. Federated Insurance is here to help business owners. You know, these are just wild times right now in the state of Minnesota and all across the country. And it just if you're a business owner right now, it helps so much to have peace of mind and to have a company standing behind you. With over 100 years of experience and 100 years of knowledge and resources and success stories standing behind businesses, right now at federatedinsurance.com, there's a trusted list of resources you may need as a business owner. You can also call your local marketing representative to, uh, to access said resources. So business owners, you are our community partners, our neighbors, our families, our friends. I know there's a lot of restaurants that are opening up patios today. In the state of Minnesota, some are probably going to wait a little bit, uh, maybe wait for the week. But uh, again, federatedinsurance.com for trusted resources. And remember, at Federated Mutual Insurance Company, it's our business to protect yours. In the history of our state, it started with the uh, tragic and senseless murder of George Floyd, and it extended through the week of uh, righteous anger being expressed by community leaders and all people of conscience and continue to deteriorate into uh, to civil unrest and eventually violence and, and rioting. All right, Governor Tim Walls, welcome back in here, Mackie and Judd. And John Thomas is the Timberwolves Vice President of Basketball Development and Community Engagement. He's been on our show a couple of times, and, and John and I have had some great conversations over the years just uh, – just like we had John on to tell stories at the state fair a couple of years yeah, ago, so it's super fun. And uh, and John, you're also a proud Minnesotan who attended Minneapolis Roosevelt High School. And I think I would just love to to give you a platform here to talk about how you're processing everything that has happened in our cities here the last seven days or so. First and foremost really appreciate the platform that you guys stand on and how much of a stance you're just taking for one spreading positive news throughout all that's happening. And then second, um, really, I think calling for change. So, you know, it's an honor and a privilege once again to jump on and, and talk about something a little bit different than sports. You know, although sports happens to be the fiber that sort of connects us, uh, ultimately, we're all human beings. So again, I, I really am grateful and appreciative of of what what the two of you are doing. Um, processing is probably the best word 
for what's happening. Uh, you know, during the coronavirus pandemic, uh, it certainly caused us as a society really to take pause and think about the things that are ultimately important, which is our health and, and the health of our family and friends and and so on and so forth. So I've certainly had a lot of self-reflection during this time because we haven't had the, the privilege of being able to entertain people, you know, through our sport, uh, both with the Wolves and Lynx organizations. Um, then, on, then you throw this on top of it, uh, certainly has, has caused a, a ripple, I think, you know, certainly in, in myself, but obviously across the nation. Um, and, and in being self-reflective and self-aware, uh, you know, I, I've had a lot of internal questions that I've just been asking around, you know, what is it that I can do? How can I do more? How do I take action? And, and I'm a person who grew up on the corner of 37th and 5th, where I had to walk literally blocks away, which was the, the death scene and which is now the memorial where George Floyd was killed when I went to Bancroft Elementary and then would take the bus uh, to Roosevelt High School. Yeah. So um, I took my family down to, to one, to, to revisit just my neighborhood area. Then we parked the car right outside of my old house and, and we walked. And I could, it, it, was, it was a surreal experience for me because I could never imagine that that many people would sort of gather in, in the old South Side neighborhood. Um, but it was important for my 11-year-old son, who was also processing, uh, who, who happens to be a, a staunch activist, uh, really wants to get out and march. And my six-year-old and four-year-old had no idea what that ultimately means. But I thought it was really important to, one, share it. And then we joined uh, the, the, the march of protests. Uh, because I, I think, you know, when you think about the word processing, I think it's, it's a part of that process uh, to ultimately think about, you know, the gravity of the situation where, um, you know, everything has reached a boiling point. And you think about an officer kneeling and executing um, someone, you know, for a little under nine minutes. Um, it's a tough pill to swallow. So certainly I've shed tears over it. I would say that I'm a proud member of an organization with the Wolves and Lynx, where we've got leaders on the business side, on the basketball side, everyone from Ethan Cash and Ryan Tankey to all of our senior executives um, on the Lynx side. We look at um, Cheryl Reeve, Rebecca Brunson, Coach Saunders has reached out and to have a conversation around, you know, how can we actively do the things that are necessary to tr really, one, promote education and unity. Uh, but begin the healing process. Obviously, you saw with what Carlton Towns and Josh Okogie did to, to take a stance. And as young men, uh, you know, looking back and reflecting in, in my 20s, you're, well, to some degree, we're, we're clueless. But uh, I genuinely appreciate how, how involved and how active they are in utilizing their platform to really galvanize the community and, and, and push for change. So, Certainly, I can go on and on, but I, I, more than anything, I want to create a, a dialogue uh, and, and really be able to answer some questions. And albeit I'm certainly not an expert in civil rights and, and politics and, and all the things that are happening, but as a human being and a citizen, one of and someone who is near and dear to me, um, 
I'm looking at what are ways in which I can provide solutions because we've seen this narrative before, mm-hmm. right? There's been a ton of riots and protests, uh, but it doesn't stop the racial profiling. It doesn't stop the killing. Uh, it doesn't stop a lot of the things that we're seeing. And I think that's ultimately what's, what's led us to this point. And again, I'm really grateful and appreciative of, of the two of you um, in, in order to start creating conversations to, to help us all collectively move forward. John, describe what seeing what's uh, taken place in your hometown the past week has been like, because there's been things that are, are absolutely heartbreaking and sickening and disgusting. And then there have been things that are that I think, especially as you uh, talked about with your uh, child, but there are things that we've seen from people in their 20s that have been have been um, positive and things that you say the future might not be that bad. Just if you can sort of articulate the uh, gamut of emotions that you probably have run through here in the past seven days. <laughs> um, I'm an emotional person. Uh, I also know myself well enough to know that if if I lead with reaction uh, due to my size, due to uh, the color on my skin, um, I'm, a, I'm a bigger target in a lot of ways. And obviously, you know, being in, being a member uh, of the Timberwolves and Lynx organization, there's certainly a lot of things that, you know, potentially could come uh, from, from that. I've probably on purpose have gone silent and, and social media, uh, partly because of you know, one, just dealing with coronavirus and sort of processing even, you know, how do we sort of move our collective business forward? Uh, but also at the same time, uh, if I'm not prepared to offer a solution uh, I, I tend not to speak unless I'm able to do that. Uh, certainly, uh, I think drawing awareness um, to the matter, I think, is important. Um, oftentimes, you know, when you talk about range of emotions, um, I find myself in certain instances crying uh, just because of those memories that I've had of, of being a kid in the South Minneapolis and riding my bike and, and being put in a police car for no reason. When I moved to Coon Rapids uh, back in the day of the old school Zelda came out with the gold case and my boy called me and was like, Hey, you know, it's out. And I, and I, and I biked over fast to his house, super excited about it. And, and on my way home, I probably doubled the RPMs of my wheels and, and heading back home just because I was so excited to, to put the cartridge into the NES system and was pulled over by a police officer and, and put in a cop car again. And I would tell you that, you know, my experiences um, are, are common and with those that have color on their skin. And we've all got stories around what, what's happened to us. And there's this feeling that you know, it, it, it happens again, it happens again. And, and obviously social media certainly puts a, a, a bright spotlight on it. But when you talk about the gamut of emotions and what's happened specifically when one, my neighborhood, um, and you think about it, you know, and it hits home and, you know, I've had the, the 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 good fortune of being able to connect with the police chief, Chief Arredondo, the deputy chief, the mayor, through some some previous programs that we did when uh, you know I was, I was uh, on the social responsibility side of the organization. So a lot of those things for me are are sort of resonating in the back of my mind. But when you think about the gamut of emotions, it's um, and you think you know you, you turn on and. Uh, you know, frankly speaking, when you when I first start to see the, the looting, um, my initial and, and I and I share this sentiment 
um, because it's the human side of me. But when I first started seeing the looting, my initial reaction is this is, this is where they believe that you are for those that are racist. They, you're acting as if they believe you, you are acting. Um, and certainly, you know, it, it hits close to home when you think about like David Fema, his, his restaurant was looted and, you know, David is a, is an upstanding man and, and a wonderful person with a great family. And you don't want to see those things happen to him. So my heart breaks for the small business owners that, you know, don't have rioters insurance on things that have, that have happened to really destroy their, their property. Um, and then you think of the other side of those that are actually angry and, and the, and the question is, have you ever been to a point where you've been frustrated or someone continues to interrupt you uh, and you don't have a voice and you've been stifled over and over again? And, and I, I, I can't pretend to be in those people's shoes that have destroyed our property, inclusive of those that have come from out of state and from what we hear you know, from those alleged reports. So uh, the, the gamut of emotions are real. Uh, you know, from anger to frustration to sadness to, uh, to anger to frustration and sadness, uh, ultimately wanting to really uh, be a part of a solution to help, uh, one, our city you know, get back on its feet and, and start the conversation and the dialogue around how do, we, how do we not let this happen ever again. John Thomas is our guest here on Mackie and Judd, and some of the tweets I've been getting the last couple of days have been, uh, just to sort of lump them all together, stick to something you know, Mackie, stick to sports and statistics, right? And yeah. so I want, I actually want to bring a statistic, which is like, we can all agree, like I'm the stat guy here on Score North, right? You know, Matthew Collar used to be, I mean, like Matt, Matt and I are sort of the stat guys the last few years. And I want, I, as I see it, and you step in and tell me if I'm wrong here, John Thomas, but the protests... And I'm talking about the mostly peaceful protests, the actual movement here that we should be most focused on, not to at all condone burning down businesses at all. But we're focused on police brutality and also the systematic issues that have led to the economic and educational oppression of of black communities. Is it just to just to pause real quick? Is that fair that those are those are the two things that we are. Those are the 30,000-foot concepts we're working with here. Is that accurate? Very accurate. So, you know, at the end, yep, go ahead. So here's my statistic, okay? Because I want to illustrate this for people. This is, this is important. There are 621 billionaires in, this, in the United States. 621 billionaires in the United States. Five of them, as of 2019, are black. And, and, and by black, I mean African-American, not people of color. Five out of 621 are black. Uh, Oprah Winfrey, Michael Jordan, Kanye West is now a billionaire, and also uh, businessmen Robert Smith and David Stewart are also billionaires. So five out of 621, okay? That's less than 1% of the total billionaire pie, black people. Yet the U.S. population is 12% black people. And so you might wonder, why is that? And it's because based on 400 years of systems and based on the fact that if you are a black person in 1930, 40, or 50 even, you probably couldn't even own a house in certain parts of the United States. To at least, and not, not talking about building like millions of dollars of wealth for your family, but you know, you buy a home, 
your family sells it. Now you got some money in the bank, and then that accumulates over several generations of family and et cetera, et cetera. And so I guess my question through this is, John Thomas, when you hear people say things like, well, listen, I mean, the civil rights movement was 40 or 50 years ago. Legally, there's nothing holding black Americans back from going and getting what's theirs and, and improving their lives and so on and so forth. What is your response to that? Well, there's, you know, first and foremost, we all operate, you know, from the same thing that we have, which is our animal brain. And our, excuse me, in our animal brain, if, if we're operating through love, it's we bring those things that are closer to us. And when we operate out of fear, we push those things away from us. So fear, anger, um, oppression, self-doubt, all of those things come from, uh, you know, the continued oppression of, of those things that uh, the, the majority have not understood. And because they feared it, uh, they pushed them away. So to, to really get into sort of your, your statistics, um, and I would tell you that to some degree it hits home, is that um, black families in South Minneapolis are not having the conversations about how to accumulate and grow wealth. And that's just one pillar of a multitude of instances which really hasn't empowered us to understand as a collective uh, how we can do that. Um, Then you think about the ways in which jobs are handed out. And again, um, we're all paid to solve problems or to eliminate problems or stop them from happening. And if we're most comfortable with those that look like us, sound like us, dress like us, talk like us, uh, that's why you see, um, specifically in the state of Minnesota, you know, when you think about, you know, picture act after picture, you know, certain organizations that their their staffs are, are mostly full of, of white people. So, um, I think it's important to understand that, you know, when you think about just the opportunity that that those who have versus those that have not. It's, it's more than anything, it's, it's asking yourself why. And is it important for us to understand why? And because whether it's someone of color or someone of another culture, um, the lack of understanding ultimately leads to that fear, which pushes us away and we sort of operate in our normal. So when you think about how media adds to that image, um, you know, there was a time where I had dreadlocks. And it was when I finished playing my, in my playing career and I'd gone through a divorce and I had, you know, my, let's call it my first post-career midlife crisis, if you will. <laughs> I grew out my dreadlocks. I grew out a beard. I was like, man, basically I don't care. Um, but ultimately what I was doing is um, I was putting up a barrier to, to entry um, where if you look at how African-American males with dreadlocks are portrayed on television, oftentimes you see it in the mugshot. So um, I knew at that point, as I was transitioning into corporate America, that I needed to cut my hair. Um, it's not that I couldn't express myself. It's just that as a six foot eight black man in society, I know that I'm looked at differently before a word even comes out of my mouth because people fear what they don't know. So a lot of that has led to systematic oppression 
um, you know, and it's passed down generationally. Uh, you know, and I, I would ask you guys to, to think about the ways in which your parents have taught you uh, your value system, and then ultimately who were their who were their friends and the people they surrounded themselves with, and ultimately that leads to you know how you create your environment, and ultimately you what you will do is also then pass that down to your children. So through that generational uh, op- opportunity of hey son, hey daughter, this is the way in which you conduct yourself specific to our value system. This is how you progress yourself to get another job, so on and so forth. Um, when you think about the plight of African-Americans, it's laced with anger. It's laced with, we were always getting the table scraps, um, you know, the, the, the pig's feet, the, 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 the intestines of the, the pig, um, that we have somehow turned into a negative into a positive. And you think about the types of things that, you know, we do to ultimately jump over that hurdle. So it's a deep, deep, deep discussion that, you know, has many, many layers to it, uh, certainly of which we don't have the time to discuss. But, you know, in, in my opinion, those are some of the things that sort of come to top of mind for me. John, at the end of the day, how confident are you that what we're seeing now, what we've seen is going to result in true change? It's a great question. You know, the I'm, I'm an optimistic person by nature. Uh, you know, I, I, and I'm a believe, I, I believe in the power of opposites. You know, for example, when they say more money, more problems. Yep. Uh, but if there's problems, then, you know, how do you figure out to, to create, you know, the positive side of it? The pendulum has clearly swung in a direction of, uh, let's call it incendiary nature, uh, both figuratively and, and, and um, realistically. Um, my hope is that as we come out of this, and, and I would say that even based upon the actions of our organization, the conversations that are happening internally, knowing how powerful the NBA platform is used for progressive thought and action and stances on social justice, uh, we will create programs and solutions to, to ultimately start the conversation towards healing. Um, it's important, I think, when, when you think about perspective, um, there's no way that the two of you can put black skin on. But I think it's important to, if, if it's something of interest, there are books that are out there. There are certainly are, are YouTube uh, videos that speak to some of these issues. Uh, there's a wonderful document on, on, uh, documentary on Netflix called 13th, where it talks about the 13th Amendment. Uh, there are lots of different ways where ultimately we, we as a society can continue to educate ourselves on why these issues are happening. And, and, and that's great, but we can all protest, we can all make a stance, but if we don't collectively figure out a way to take action, then that optimistic hope uh, of us stopping to uh, abuse, kill uh, us as a society uh, certainly won't stop. Uh, John, last thing for you here, and this is, I feel like we could do this for two straight weeks and and do this deep dive, and we'd love to have you on again at some point, but just in terms of dissecting everything here in the last week, uh, you're a, a lifelong Minnesotan. Has your opinion of the state of Minnesota in any way changed now compared to two weeks ago? Um. It's a great question. Uh, I, I certainly think that 
I didn't understand, you know, to, to some degree, the underpinnings of the multitude of stories that I've heard from from other uh, black community members around the oppression that they've faced uh, in, in growing up in South Minneapolis. Uh, you know, basketball entered my life. And through that, it's allowed me to be exposed to college and then ultimately the NBA and then uh, a worldly perspective through overseas basketball playing as well. So it's the positive of it is, is giving me this litany of, of experiences that many people haven't had the opportunity to share that perspective. Uh, on the other side of it, and speaking of opposites, is, uh, you know, to some degree I've been sheltered uh, because of the, the life that I've uh, you know, pushed and worked so hard to lead in thinking that professional basketball was was a, was a calling and, and a passion for me. Um, it, it, I would say yes uh, to to answer your question because my experience as a whole, and again, you know, pointing back to some of the uh, racial profiling and instances that have happened to me when when I absolutely have no records, certainly you know, stick with me. Well, when I've heard the other stories and, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure like all of us were and all of us that are curious and, and want to create a solution. We've seen all the stories around what's happened. Um, so I would say, yes, it has, but again, the optimist in me, uh, really wants to be a part of a solution and, you know, how do we u- collectively utilize our platform, uh, within the world's links organization to, to really create change. Uh, I, I welcome any dialogue, conversation, you know, through through you guys, through community members, uh, both on a personal and professional level, because this this is, is important, and the, the time that we spend on this needs to be done diligently and effectively to ultimately create the right type of change. Hey, uh, would you feel comfortable just telling people how if if they want to have a conversation with you or have a conversation through you? to the Timberwolves in some way, if, if people want to help and they're well-intentioned, what's the best way to go about that? Well, um, I, I use Twitter a lot and more, and, I, and I've gone more dark uh, on Twitter, uh, obviously because of coronavirus uh, and then, you know, recent events. But uh, my Twitter handle is, is at JG, John Gregory, and Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S. Uh, you certainly can tweet, tweet me. I'm, I'm willing to jump into conversations, but moreover, um, I want to be able to, at some point, provide context because I think, uh, you know, it's easy. You know, we've got a lot of digital warriors out there that are that don't have the right type of perspective or might not have the right kind of intentions and and are sharing information or are, are being abusive, uh, you know, so it definitely doesn't help the cause. So for those that, you know, really want to be a part of a solution, um, you know, I, along with other leaders in our organization, certainly want to be a catalyst to that. Awesome. I man. also, no I also can be, I also can be reached via email at John J O H N dot Thomas T H O M A S at Timberwolves.com. Hey, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thanks Talk John. again, John. All right. John Thomas, vice president of community engagement, Minnesota Timberwolves. There's outstanding stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Also. Yeah. I'm sorry. That was yeah. that was impressive. Back to back too. You don't yeah. see that much. A good question from both of us puts uh, puts me now back to well, we evened it out there. Even so I've got fourteen good questions on the season. Judd has twelve. Rami with nine, uh, and his his total will probably stay there unless we decide to give him a platform again to 
Try and get a great question. Just in terms of the crescendoing of a guest giving giving someone a good question point, I think that was the best I've ever heard. Like there was such a buildup. There was a buildup. There was a huge buildup. So how can you listen to what John just told us and in any way, shape, or form be confused about this whole thing? Mm-hmm. Like he articulated it perfectly. Yeah. Like there's no, this, again, this is not some type of debate of, well, I don't know about what John Thomas just said. Mm-hmm. He just basically, incredibly smart guy, laid it out from his perspective mm-hmm. as a black man. Like, okay, we just heard it. It's, and he's not, it's not like he's being biased towards one side. Yeah. Um, I just, this is what I don't understand. How do you, how do you uh, listen to that and not feel empathy and actually, also, because he did such a great job of laying things out, come away with at least slightly more of an understanding, right? Right. John Thomas is just an unbelievable, I don't know if public speaker is the right, John Thomas is unbelievable at communicating a point. Yes. And um, that's part of the reason why we, want, we wanted to have him on today, because not, not only is, is John Thomas from the backyard of ground zero, so to speak, of where all of this has been happening... But he has worked his way through 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 basketball and then through his work with the Timberwolves front office. Mm-hmm. And he has, I think, carved a great path as an example for listen, like this is how you th- this is how you can not only make a name for yourself professionally, but this is also how you can use your platform to then reach back down, help other people and explain circumstances to people. And so listen, like that's that's kind of what this is about. I think for me and for us, which is let's not let's just not dismiss this as oh, there's just a bunch of crazy rioters who are stealing TVs. Like, no, this is happening all around the country. There are reasons for it. I want to know what the reasons are. Yeah. And I want to talk about that. Yes. And let's let's sort through there there's there's a lot going on here, and I completely understand that, okay? So so nobody is condoning the rioting, the violence the looting, but if you can work your way through that, there is something far more important here. And and that's where I think we tend to get confused because there's so much noise here. There's so many things to glum on to and say, I am anti-stealing. Okay, oh yeah, okay, thank mm-hmm. you. That's great. We all should be. Um, but if you can work your way through, through all of that to the core of why we're t- talking about this, why this started, that to me is easily the most important thing and that's where the answers lie in are we going to improve ourselves from this or are we just going to have a lot of lip service and in five years be back to where we were um a week ago today before yeah. before this entire tragedy started to unfold before us yeah so thanks to john for coming on the show here we uh we, we thank him we appreciate it and quite frankly we should probably have him on again at some point to, to go even deeper with with some of these conversations, um, other things like there's, I just have a whole checklist. Let's start. Let, let's let's start with uh, or go back to our conversation about the semi truck driver here, mm-hmm. All right? Because I've probably watched this film and this video a hundred times. Yeah, so, since it, I was watching. Were you watching live when it happened? No, I was walking Stella. I got home and Don said it's really bad, and I, and then I saw the picture of the truck stopped on the bridge. I mean, I was, but uh, I've seen, I've seen. Uh, uh, clips of it continually since then. Yeah. I, I happen to be watching live and sort of like, we'll play the clip here from KSTP TV as they were watching live as well. And I was like, oh, oh, why? Oh, they're all dispersing. They, 
Oh, they must like the police must be coming down with a big jug of mace or something. We are looking at the people, thousands there on the ground. They, What's they happening seem right to be now? Oh, wow, they're, right now. they're moving across. What's going on? I'm, I'm not certain. What oh, we're my here. Wow. oh, my gosh. Wow. A giant. Uh, <gasps> oh, my gosh. This is very dangerous. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I, I, I'm not I, sure I how that, what we've that, just seen. that vehicle made its way. It's being surrounded now. So it, it actually reminds, and thank, thank God nobody was seriously hurt somehow. How I, did that, how? I'm actually also, I'm, I'm shocked that no one was hurt, and we can get into like, he clearly slowed down, which, yeah. which I think takes the story that we thought we saw and probably pivots it to something else. But as soon as, as soon as his truck stopped and as soon as people started jumping on the hood, to A, stop the truck, and then to pull him out. Mm-hmm. You know, I was only seven years old or six or seven years old. I immediately thought of the Rodney King, the, the infamous, that truck driver that was going through Reginald Los Angeles. Denny. Yep. Yep. And and that different circumstances, that that dude was wrong place, wrong time. Right, he did and nothing was wrong. being yep. made an example of. This dude came barreling in, whether there was intent or not. It yep. was very reckless and careless, um, and maybe the state is somewhat at fault, but... I just couldn't have, like I thought the whole time I thought oh my god they're going to kill him like they're going they're going to kill him and then the narrative is going to be listen all like 10,000 thugs on a bridge and look this is what happens and now that we've seen some of the other video that's come out you see all kinds of people protesters on the ground restraining oh they protected them. violent protesters yep. from trying literally trying to rip this yep. guy's you know head he off of his body he got beat up and then protected it's the damnedest thing but that, that's what I'm saying about there has been for the last six days or so, there was so many, there's so many horrific things and terrible things. But if you look through some of them, there's things that absolutely make you want to cry because there's such acts of kindness. And to see people protect this guy, and I have no idea what his motives were. I have no, I have no clue. Okay, oh, of course he has a Russian name, just to add like another like layer to the after story. On the, fri- after the on Russians. Friday, I declared that Russians weren't bad guys. <laughs> this guy has a Russian. But anyway, you know, to see to see them, and, and I actually saw they interviewed one of the guys who was in the cab area or pulled the guy out and helped protect him on one of the uh, news stations last night, and he basically said, "We could have killed him, but we're not going to be that." Like, think about that for a second, because yeah. we're talking about relatively young people, highly emotionally charged. Yeah. But they're but they basically say we're we're mad. We want change, but we're not going to get it through how the Minneapolis Police Department worked. Uh, yeah. And I, 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 I think, well, let's let's go to the core question here with this semi truck driver, which is, do you guys think he drove that truck intentionally and tried to kill people? Because I have. I've gone back and forth on this. I think if he wanted to kill people, he could have. Like he could have right. he could have veered left or right or have like he he clearly stopped when he saw a woman on the ground who was having some sort of medical issue or had tripped or whatever it was. So he clearly stopped. But then if you start to back up and say, "All right, well if if he didn't do it, if he didn't drive up there to to kill somebody, did he drive up there just to like angrily disperse the crowd and threaten them with a semi, but he stopped short of actually wanting to kill somebody? Or was it even further back, which is, now this dude just like, this guy was just like trying to get through 35W. No, no, no. no. And and I believe that they did say that he is from here. He's from Otsego, I believe I said. So you would have to be, and not to know that there were protests on the freeway by that point. But, But again, and Phil, I think you pointed this out on Twitter last night. 
we've all driven that way a thousand times. That's not like you you come over an incline and can't and are like, my God, there's a bunch of people no, here. It's, it's all in front of it's you. It's in front of you. It's basically so I don't I agree with you that he could have swerved and killed people. So I don't know that his There's the video again. I don't know that his motives were to kill people. I do think though that he had some type of motive to try and scare them. I mean, there's something there to dismiss it and be like, oh, just a big mistake to me is way too simple. So I do think that he was I I honestly believe that in what we have seen now, starting with probably Wednesday, I think that there is a lot of I guess I would call them agents of chaos trying to create chaos. I think there's a lot of people trying to get a message across and I am on board but you have a lot of people who are probably very weak-minded, very uh, sheep-like, and and who have beliefs or have been brainwashed, who are trying to do nothing more than create chaos. And to me, that seemed like a move of chaos. Yeah. Well, let's let's actually do this here. Um, we want to get into the unmarked vehicles. We want to get into re- reports and photos of suspicious small groups in suburb areas and the way that the media was treated. So we'll get to those things. But Declan actually, so one of your friends from college was literally like fr- feet yeah. away from this as it was happening on the bridge, right? Yes, he was. And what's his name? Dan Brink is his name. Let's hear from him right now. All right, and welcome to Mackie and Judd Show. This is uh, producer Declan here. I'm with Dan Brink. Uh, Dan was one of the protesters that was on that 35W bridge when a semi-truck uh, driver unexplicably and and no excuses just came through right away, Dan, and it was a pretty frightening scene. But obviously, it was a peaceful protest. It was a whole build up of, of, of a great day. So if you could, can you just kind of like walk me through how the day started and then obviously what happened with that truck driver coming out of nowhere on 35W? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Declan, you know, thanks, for, <clears throat> thanks for having me. Thanks for giving me a few minutes to you know, put the word out there about this. It's definitely something that's been, you know, despite being front and center in the news, it's still trying to get sweeped on, swept under the rug. So. Happy to talk about it. And honestly, you know, like you said, the, the day was, was peaceful. It was a lovely day out. You know, the sun was out, the sun was shining, and we were just there to be peaceful. Um, I live over in the Riverside area, the Seward neighborhood, and uh, a couple a couple friends and I, we had biked. We Our original target was U.S. Bank. We had heard of a, of a, a protest starting there and kind of working its way down. And when we got there, it seemed like there wasn't many people there. Like we maybe missed the, missed the boat. So kind of just kept moving down Washington. Um, towards the towards the federal bank, and when we got to like Washington and Hennepin, we realized that we were coming up on a really big crowd, and that this thing really going. And so, uh, continued to move over Hennepin down the Green Lantern Bridge. From there, Hennepin turned onto University University, you know, onto 35. So when we got to 35, you know, it, it was nuts. Um, people were going down both entry ramps, you know, from 35 off onto University, also University back onto 35. And when we had gotten, you know, uh, probably right at the apex of the bridge. Um, they'd started asking us to sit down, you know, take a kneel at first and then just sit down and kind of, uh, you know, continue the peacefulness. And th- there were some people standing on the median with loud phones trying to, you know, say what was coming next. They'd actually uh, just announced prior to the truck showing up that, may- that uh, Mayor Frey was on his way, Mayor Frey. Um, and, and a lot of people were excited because we were going to have him front and center. We we're going to have an opportunity to you know, ask him questions face to face. Obviously, we were going to do it in a respectful way, not bombard him. You know, I- there were leaders there that were going to kind of handle that kind of uh, discussion. But. You know, I remember, I remember, I was just sitting down. I was sitting in the middle of a highway, smoking a cigarette, and I hear people screaming. And I can, I, you know me, Declan. I'm a kind of a tall person. I can see above it, and I just see people 
like Red Sea type, right? Just splitting. And then from the back of it, I can see uh, a, a semi truck kind of starting to work out. Keep, let, let me back up for a sec. So, you know, we're on 30, we're on the side of 35 North. Yeah. And all the cars that were on 35 are now literally making a U turn from 35 back to the wrong, you know, the, the on ramp to 35 from, from Washington. So they're literally turning around, being like, okay, well, I have nowhere else to go. Like, I got to turn around, try and find another way. This guy, you know, truck driver, veered. Like, people, I, I've seen a lot of people talking about, like, oh, like he didn't intentionally hurt want to hurt people like he stopped you know he could have kept going he could have definitely hit people the one thing i want people to know is from where the guy was and how far the cars were backed up there's no single way that he would have been able to maintain that kind of speed and get to the point of the protesters without having at least some sort of intent of doing it right now i can i could even believe that he wanted to hurt people and had a split second decision to say hey you know I, this is wrong I, I gotta stop like no i could believe that more than people saying oh you know he, he, he had no intention to hurt people. Like he would have had to go around at least probably a quarter mile to a half mile of cars to be able to even get to where he was with his semi, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, it's surreal because, you know, it's happening in our backyard, but at the same time, I can't even imagine what it feels like. This is happening. You know, I, I, I actually got pretty close to the truck. It almost hit me. I could see, I was close enough. I could see into the cab, see his face, but that's a fraction deck on a fraction of what, you know, our, our members of color in our community feel on a daily basis just by being who they are, just by being black, just by being different, just by, you know, being in a different socioeconomic bracket. And like, I, you know, I'm still kind of frightened from it. I'm not going to lie. Like this is going on in my city and I almost got hit by a semi. Right. And that's scary. But think, just imagine how much more scary it is to be frightened just even stepping outside, going to your local, you know, bodega, going to your local convenience store just to get a soda, pack of cigarettes. And you're literally fearing that you may, that may be the last walk you take. That may be the time you get shot. That may be the time you get suffocated. Right. So it's, it's crazy, but it's, yeah, I don't know. So you saw him coming, obviously, and then the video right. shows, like, he, he clearly slows down. He gets about halfway through the bridge. And then just, right. like, a mob of people, obviously, kind of circle the car and try to open the cab and get him out. Were, were you close to that? Were you, like, close to getting him out of the car? Were you close to the wheels? Like, where were you when, when you noticed that he is coming to a stop? Yeah, so, so he like he had uh, just kind of, you know, st- started coming to a stop by me. And then so many people tried to rush the cab, obviously. You know, people were trying to rip it open. I, like, I was trying to rip it open. Well. I remember I had actually brought a box cutter with me for safety purposes. And so my... Gut instinct was to try and slash his tires with that box cutter just to make sure, hey, this guy's not going anywhere else. He's at least going to stay here. Uh, word to the wise, if you want to try and slash a semi-tire, bring something bigger than a box cutter because it will not do the trick. Probably want to look at like a hunting-type knife. <laughs> box cutter doesn't go through a semi-tire. But <clears throat> it honestly, and he kept trying to drive away. It literally looked like a Fast and the Furious movie, Declan, where people are like climbing. Like there was like two people between the cab and the, and the, 50, and the trailer that he was pulling. Like, we were just trying to hold on, make sure that wherever he goes, he, they're going with him to stop him. And it was just, it was nuts. But, you know, it, and this is all happening so fast. One of my friends that I was with to start screaming my name, like, bloody hell. And I'm like, oh, like, this is a this is a gas tanker that we're mobbing right now. Like, this is this is a gas tanker in the middle of the 35W bridge. Who knows what could happen next? So we all jumped over the fence, went through the grass, went to the roads underneath, and dipped from there. And that all happened probably, a, I'd say, a three to four minute time frame. Because I think even the tanker they said was like <clears throat> leaking gas too, or something. I think there might that's have been what, gas leak. That's what kind of caused the, the uh, I guess, second wave of panic. You know, people cleared, truck stopped, people people run back on it. You know, 
besides the people that initially ran, other people then started running again because they're like, holy shit, this is a gas tanker. Like you said, you know, people might have meant people mentioned that there were leaks, you know, or something coming out of it in some way that led them to believe it might be. So also you said you got out of there so quickly, but like, were you able to kind of stick together? Cause I know there was, there was talks um, that they were going to go, I believe it was PJ Hill, who was one of the guys leading the protest. And he said mm-hmm. there was talks to go to the, U, go to us bank and start from there. And then I know shortly before we started recording, I saw that, you know, some of the protesters did make it to us bank. And so far after governor wall spoke, there hasn't been any known um, fatalities from from this incident, but were you still trying to be part of the protest after that, or did you just basically kind of hightail it and, and get on home? So yeah, we we actually went to U.S. Bank. That's where we started. Like I mentioned, we thought that's where the protest, like where the, the group that we were a part of, was originating. But somewhere between like four fifteen and five thirty, and I think we got there around probably four fifteen. And we, like I said, we felt like we had missed it. So then we started kind of just continuing following some crowds, and we ran into a much larger crowd. So that's kind of what. We thought I didn't hear um, about ideas of going back to U.S. Bank or, or so forth. Um, to be honest, I don't know if you can picture it, but you know, there's 35 North. There's the Washington Bridge right there. There's also like the River Parkway right underneath it. Yeah. So River Parkway runs right near where we live. So we just honestly jumped the fences, got on our bikes, stuck stuck together, and just dipped out of there. Well, I mean, frightening stuff, man. I mean, I'm glad obviously you're okay. And, and no, it doesn't sound like anyone got hurt that we know of again. You know, this is just, you and I are sitting right. down and recording this just, I believe, two hours after this, this right, all right, went right. down on 35W. But, um, I mean, like you said, it just started as a peaceful day. And were you, I know the police obviously. It was the most, it was the most peaceful thing I've been a part of so far. And, you know, like I said, I live, I live right off of, uh, in the Seward neighborhood. So, you know, I saw the police riding at, at Lake and Hiawatha. You know, I saw, I saw it right after they broke it into the precinct. This is the most like peaceful gathering I've I've seen or you know been a part of so far, and I'm good. I'm proud to say that. I'm glad to say that. Um, whoever organized what was going on today knew what they wanted to achieve and were setting out to achieve it. I'm sorry I cut you off, but no, you're good. Uh, th- so did was there like an insane police presence? I know because they were like starting tear gassing. People were running up the entrance ramps, or like you said, they were jumping the jumping a, a part of the bridge. Obviously, there's a there's a river underneath there, but where people were, they were still able to jump over and, like you said, kind of go down the grassy hill either towards River Parkway or maybe they were able to hop up back on University if they were heading the other way. Um, yep. what, what, did you have any run-ins or altercations with the police that you, that, you, that you saw there? I didn't. The only thing I really saw from being down on River Parkway getting away from was like the military helicopters with those you know, big orange bags that they dip down on the river, yeah. suck water up with, and then go to drop somewhere. That's all I saw. Now, I definitely heard... I heard, so I can't you know, verify or say with assurance, but heard that police showed up and you know, in trying to control the the crowds as well as subdue the driver, they were you know, macing people, just trying to get things under control. I didn't see any of that in my time in the time that we were protesting, moving about. The only real like strong presence I would say I remember was I wouldn't even say strong, but there was a little bit of a presence at the Hennepin County Public Safety Center, you know, the jail. Yeah, there's a couple people there. Honestly, not many. Um, the one there where there was a pretty armed force out front was, uh, the federal reserve downtown right at first in Hennepin. Yeah. There was a, there was a pretty intimidating, um, cover out front of that, but as to be expected, that's a federal treasury unit. Sure. So was, was there also though, like police barricading off the parade for or like the parade, excuse me, the protest from where you started at us bank. Was there like, uh, there was there at least, were they at least like trying to keep you safe beforehand? Like as you were marching, it seemed like it was very well thought out like the route that we were taking because uh, and again you know this is just from my memory but 
in the route that we were taking, you know, whether we were taking a turn or going straight, I, it seemed like a lot of the things, one left block and one left, one block right were blocked off. I remember it was somewhere between U.S. Bank and the government center where we were coming around and we are going right. And I looked to the left and that whole block is clear. And at the other end of it, there's the Jersey Bears with some cops posted up on that. So, I, like, like I said, I do believe that whoever was orchestrating this today was very deliberate in it. And they were, you know, they had, they had the participation police. They said, this is the route we're going to take. You know, I, I can't imagine that they really asked them for protection despite what's going on. But they said, this is the route we're going to take. This is where, this is where the movement's going. This is where we're, we're getting through. So, you know, this is our in, informing of you of that. And, and you, it, it seems like the police, you know, took it to heart. And they responded and said, we're going to let these people move. We're going to let them protest peacefully. Um, and I, to be honest, I wasn't still around when things may have gotten violent at all after the truck came through. Yeah. Um, but just based on what I've heard, it sounds like they were trying to get people under control at the same time as subduing the driver. So obviously, too, you said you, you're in Seward area. Um, mm-hmm. And is, is that where you're obviously staying, I believe, tonight, too? Is that where you're at? Yeah. Okay. And, I mean, has it... As you have you heard bangs? Have you like I, I'm in the North Loop? I was away for the last two nights. I, I escaped to the mm-hmm. suburbs. I, I'm now back here tonight. But ha, when when you're in Seward, does it even when during the curfew? That was what I'm trying to say. After 8 p.m., is it still like? Can you hear the tension in the air? Can you hear bangs? Can you hear helicopters? What's it kind of like just being around throughout the curfew, especially since Saturday with the <laughs> heavy uh, military presence with the National Guard? Well, to be honest, I don't think you need to hear the tension. I think you can just feel it being anywhere near the city. But um, as far as like what I hear. I, the first couple of nights, I heard a lot of what sounded like gunshots, like tear, ga- tear gas canisters being shut off. And that that was you know maybe Wednesday or Thursday. In the last two nights, I've really I really feel like I've noticed more of just like helicopters and sirens, and not so much directly around me. Um, you know, like I said, first towards Wednesday and Thursday, night, I couldn't really hear people, but I could definitely hear what was going on and where. You know. Um, I'd say that Lake and Hiawatha is maybe like a 15, 20 minute walk from, from where I'm at. And as you got close, you could, you could hear it more and more, but from the distance that we're at, you know, maybe a mile away, you could really only hear the loud, loud stuff. So you know, helicopters, canisters, sure. like I said. So, uh, and, and you said you, you went down to that protest, kind of taking you back there. You went down to that protest. You, you no. didn't really kind of know what to expect. Um, what, was that your first thing participating in a protest uh, throughout this last week and since uh, George Floyd was, was murdered? No, no, I'd, I'd been out a few nights before. Um, was down protesting at Lake and Hiawatha before it got you know, really nasty down there. You know, my, my heart really does hurt for the for the other businesses that were affected. And I know a lot of people are saying, "Hey, these people can be rebuilt. They've got insurance." Blah blah blah. Yeah, you know, Cub Foods and Target they've got huge hundred million dollar more insurance policies. But what about the you know the tobacco store, the liquor store, the you know the locally owned food family restaurant that you just burnt down? Like that's the stuff that's getting that's kind of getting at me. Because I think they're just unintended casualties of of these people trying to. Um, I shouldn't even say these people of of us trying to make a difference, right? But there's some people that are certainly taking advantage of the fact that there's disorder, that there's you know unlawfulness and there's disorder in the city, and they're using it to try and be. Right. Just, they just want to destroy things. So I mean, Dan, do you have anything also that you, you kind of want to close with? I know you said that. When you're on that bridge, you see a truck coming, you know, you, you, you fear for your life. But at the end of the day, I mean, like you said, you, that, that's just a fraction of what other people of color have to go through every day. So I, I guess, is, is there any closing remarks, too, that you just kind of want to 
let, let the people know about? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's crazy, man. Like, I, you know, me, I've, I've, I've spent my entire life growing up in, in white, you know, for the most part, wealthy suburbs. Like, I've never really been, I, I've had bad run-ins with the cops, you know, looking back on it, most of them are my fault. What I experienced, what I've, you know, gone through is a just the tiniest fraction of what the members of our community that are colored are going through on a daily basis. Like, just, I'll, go, I'll get to this, you know, I'll feel fear today, fear tomorrow, and fear for the rest of this, you know, ongoing event. But that fear isn't going to stop for members of our community that are colored when this is over. It's, it's not. You know, they're going to continue to live with fear once these riots are done, once the protests are done, once things, you know, once we find a new normal with both this and the ongoing health crisis. Like, these people are going to continue to live in fear. And until something's done about that, like, I just, I don't see how people can go about their lives just acting like there's nothing wrong. Well, that's, yeah. that just amazes me. Yeah. And so, so, so my, my, closing, my closing statement is if you're in a position to help in any way, whether that's being out protesting, whether that's helping clean up, whether that's donating wa- water, food, supplies, anything else to the people that are actually out there protesting, do something. Don't just sit by and do nothing because doing nothing is what's given rise to this and what's allowed these police to continue to get away for so long. Members of our community are about it. Members of our government are about it. The only people that are, the only people against this are the police system, right? And luckily, working this from both sides with both the government and the people, we can we can come to a new solution. We can come to a new way of living that doesn't involve people of color getting killed left and right. Because it's just it, it just can't continue to happen. This is, this is nonsense. All right, before we get into just all kinds of other things, the treatment of the media over the weekend in in Minneapolis and around the country, and is there? Uh, some cases to be made there. Let's talk about Luther Brookdale Toyota here, community partner and a friend of my family's for 30 plus years on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. You can shop their inventory on their website, LutherBrookdaleToyota.com in the comfort of your home, chat online with their sales team and even schedule test drives where they'll bring the vehicle to you. They've got all kinds of brand new 2020 Camrys, RAV4, Tacomas. I can tell you from firsthand experience, just how great the interior technology safety features are on these brand new vehicles. Uh, I've got a 2019 RAV4 and I, I love like just in terms of technology, I love the Apple CarPlay system where you can just tap any audio app that you have on your phone on that screen, that middle console, and it essentially turns your car into a smartphone. Just uh, tap that score North app to listen on demand to Mackie and Judd and Purple Daily or Spotify, Apple, whatever it is that you want to listen to. 694 Brooklyn Boulevard and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. Declan? Yeah, quick thank you, too, to DennisKirk.com for supporting Score North and Mackie and Judd. It's obviously a little bit of crazy times right now, but one thing you can do is get out and ride, and the weather seems to be telling us it's time to get you and your motorcycle ready for this year's riding season. DennisKirk.com is a Minnesota-based worldwide retailer of parts, accessories, and apparel for avid bikers of all kinds. Whether you ride a Harley, Cruiser, sports bike, dirt bike, or any type of motorcycle they have what you need. Plus, Dennis Kirk has extended their offer of 0% interest for up to 12 months through June 30th. Over 160,000 products in stock and ready to ship today. DennisKirk.com not only offers a huge in-stock selection, but also guaranteed best prices, fast same-day shipping, and a satisfaction guarantee. They truly are the best in the business. Order by 8 p.m. and get it tomorrow. $89 order ship free. DennisKirk.com. Order today. Get it tomorrow. All right, gentlemen, so many other tentacles off of everything that happened over the weekend here since the last time we did a podcast. But I think the treatment of the media is worth some discussion here. And maybe not in the way like maybe not in the way that you guys think I might bring this up. Like my my thought on this is 
There's something so ironic about media members being shocked and dismayed at law enforcement using excessive physical force on them while covering demonstrations and riots that stem from law enforcement using excessive physical force on black people. Like I, I and I'm not trying to like listen, if you're out there and you're a journalist, you are doing unbelievable work. I think our local entities here, all four local TV stations, the Star Tribune, like any other outlet, I mean I some of the work that's being done locally here is incredible. Mm-hmm. And should be recognized. And there is a scary anti-media sentiment in this country over the last several years. Mm-hmm. And media outlets aren't perfect. And many of them, especially the national cable networks, are going to have a political lean one way or the other. Locally, I think they've done an unbelievable job the last few days. But there's just something that something that makes me a little bit uncomfortable about, like, you know, especially white journalists like, oh, my God, I got hit in the leg with a, you know, a rubber bullet. You know, how can this be? It's like, yeah, I mean, that's that's the reason like these riots are happening stemming from police brutality. I mean, that's that's sort of like that's a firsthand education if I've ever seen one over the weekend, I guess not to make light of it. But so I would say this and this applies both um, in our cities, plural, and also the nation. I think what happened, especially here starting on Saturday, where where there were definitely some media members who were injured and or abused, I think you got to take it case by case, all right? Because if you're covering something and you're in a group of people and the cops start to fire either tear gas or rubber bullets into that group and you get hit, it sucks for you, but you're part of that group and you're covering it. And look, I cover sports, okay? Mm-hmm. There's a reason why. I love sports. They're not hard to cover. Brad Schill just shot a rubber bullet at Jeb one time. They're not other, hard to cover. Other than that. Okay, I've always said this. Sports is great because we can debate them and, and at the end of the day not care because it's just sports. And also because if you go into a locker room or post-game press conference, odds are very good that you're not going to get hit or struck by something, all right? But I think that nationally and Locally, it needs to be case by case because we saw some abuse of media that was over the top. That was absolutely wrong. They identified themselves and the cops still took the opportunity to abuse them. That's wrong. You're in a group and you get hit by tear gas. I'm sure that sucks, mm-hmm. but you're in that group. Um, but here's the here's the lesson to me that we all learn from this. And that is, and I'll keep going back to it. There's some really bad people in charge when it comes to authority here, when it comes to cops, when it comes to the National Guard. There's a lot of great ones. They want to protect us. And there are a lot of ones who who probably listen and hook, line, and sinker fall into, well, <laughs> that person's got a notepad or a camera. They're the enemy, and they take that advantage to then basically abuse them. So I, I don't think we can cover this with one blanket of it was either the exact right thing to do or it was the exact wrong thing to do. I think it needs to be parsed out and that the lesson is, and, and on Saturday, look, the state and and the city by Friday night had lost complete control. They Their, their work was terrible up mm-hmm. until then. On Saturday, they had to get get it back. It's their fault that they didn't take steps before that, mm-hmm. but they had to do something. And when you do, and when you talk about a, a full show of force, right, you're going to unleash, at least in part from the cops and the National Guard, some really bad people who are supposed to be helping. Mm-hmm. And so that, that to me is what we saw. And so if you saw, if, if, and I saw this, a reporter identify himself or herself and they immediately got maced or shot with a bullet of some sort, 
those are people in control who are going to abuse their power. And every one of us knows people who will do that. But I don't think it's fair just to say the media was completely wronged or or the authorities were completely right. Right. There's a lot of gray here. Also, like, you know, just in terms of the because I think a lot of people are wondering, well, what what does the media need to even be down there? Well, imagine, if you will, an extreme scenario in which and by extreme, I mean a scenario that happens in countries all over the world. Mm -hmm. If third party objective media, not state run media like you see in sports where when i say state run like vikings.com does some amazing work <laughs> but like vikings.com is is state run sports media right like they aren't going to like vikings.com isn't going to have an exclusive on right. like why rick spielman is bad at finding quarterbacks or something right this is fair and so imagine a world if you will in which you've got major things happening in your city in your country and media is not allowed to be on the ground covering it in some way, right? Yeah. Like how would how would you? Oh, that's yeah. How, how would you uncover truth? How would you Cleveland document last things? Night. Yeah, Cleveland tried. The authority to, said that reporters, unless they were going into their place of work, could not be in downtown Cleveland. Correct. Last night, which which runs counter to everything that everyone in this country believes. Correct. Uh, it's literally part of our First Amendment. Yes. So, um, so I, I, you know, I I walk this line of yeah, I de- you know, listen, like. It's very, very important for media to be documenting what we're seeing here over the past seven days because this is an historical week and we don't know what it's going to lead to. But we know that we've never seen Minneapolis burn like this. And so it's very important. And also, if you are a media member and you are out heroically covering all of this and, you know, you got maced or something, just understand that. This is like that type of behavior by police officers is what is being protested and rioted about in the first place. And I don't Just, think that those people I think that they were upset because it probably hurts like hell for sure. uh, Absolutely. to have tear gas in your eyes. I don't think that those people didn't get it. I think I think where it started just to cross lines completely is what on Saturday night uh, Channel 4 photographer was arrested mm-hmm. with his credential Correct. being shown. Yep. That's like, a problem. Like if you're a cop. Well, and and. It's a problem because it's abuse of power, but it's a problem too because if you're that cop, you're wasting it's a huge waste everyone's of time. time. Yep, like go do your job. Yep, totally agree. Like I would fire that guy and say you're you're incompetent. You can't do your job. Have you guys ever been maced before? No, I don't. I was cutting onions last night, and the, and the onion whip you know got in my eyes, as, and that was about as close as I've gotten. I don't white think people I, problems. White seriously, <laughs> do a T. I don't think I've ever gotten tear gas. In my eyes before, but I hear it hurts I, like a it SLB. does. Uh, once in my life, I don't think so. 2005 Halloween, Madison, Wisconsin. Oh boy! They literally sent the riot police right down State Street and just were, were they spraying the it? whole thing. This this whole thing of of putting the can of of pepper spray or something out your car window of a cop car and just spraying people indiscriminately. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't love that. I totally nope. don't get that one. Yeah. Like the, the, you saw that happening in in some areas yesterday before the curfew and, and, and bystanders were, you know, probably not in a in a regular workday going to be standing there. But of all the, the the places you can focus your attention on and the like you just said and all the things you can be doing, um, I think arresting a photog from Channel Four is probably yeah, it's probably a complete waste of your time. It's stupid. The other thing that just it's a, it's it's the only thing that's just sort of hanging out there. That we haven't. This is the most thing I'm tied up so yet. I feel like 
all of these unmarked, yes. no license plate vehicles that have been traveling around the Twin Cities, and Declan and I have, have both seen multiple over the weekend. Declan lives in a different area. He lives in the North Loop area. I live over in the St. Louis Park area. Mm-hmm. And I saw two of them yesterday, early afternoon, speeding out of a hotel parking lot. And uh, I, I, I only caught, like, I, I know that one of them was a, a black Chevy SUV. And so I went and did a little bit of a search, and other people had seen the same vehicle, and it had already been reported to police. And so, thankfully. But it sounds like, based on certain police reports that I was reading on Twitter from, like, the Minneapolis and St. Paul Police Departments, which were doing a great job of tweeting out updates the last couple of days, they would pull these unmarked vehicles over. One of them got pulled over in Bloomington yesterday, and the guy or the gal, whoever it was, tried to light the car on fire and a, run away. Took out a, ga- a gas can. Tr- tried, like, to do- tried to douse it. So that they could burn. Okay, so I, I put this question out on Twitter. I've asked people. I've gotten responses, but I don't know if if they are accurate. In Minnesota, you have to have a front and back plate. All right. Yes. In Florida, I think it's only a back plate. But in Minnesota, front and back plate. So I understand that these are stolen cars. But answer me this: Why wouldn't you either steal plates yes. from the state to put on that car, or or if they're already equipped with Minnesota plates, why would you draw more attention? Like, if you had seen a car that looked weird but had two plates. Yeah, you're on, you're on 394 and you see a car with Minnesota plates. You're not calling it in. And I understand. But that, you will if it's unmarked. And I understand that the cops can run the plates if they can see them, but they're so busy right now. They're not just running all the plates. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So, why, so what somebody explained to me why you would take the plates off the car. Well, Declan's done this a lot. So go ahead, Declan. Why don't you explain? You've stolen some cars. Oh, yeah, no. totally. 100%. <laughs> But what I yeah what I don't get is if you're, you're just drawing more attention to yourself. Yes. If you don't have any plates on, so like when I I stayed out in Hopkins the last on Friday and Saturday night, I said screw this, I'm not going to stay down here. I was going to stay in my apartment. I'm tucked away from all the madness, and yeah, I probably would have been fine. You're in good shape. But and you know I got some pythons that I can defend myself. But but still, I was like I'm getting out of here. I'm going to go to Hopkins. So I came back Sunday afternoon at about one o'clock, and there's a truck that's parked. Um, Kind of at the exit onto, onto my onto my street, which is First Street, and it's one of those parking lots that you can't really get two cars by. Like if someone's waiting to yield to come out, like you got to let the guy out before you can turn in. It's pretty narrow. Sure. So I let the guy come out. There's no front plate. It's a dusty looking guy, <laughs> to be honest. So I quickly like try to turn my head around, and I see him slowly try to like kind of pull off to the side on 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 the street as well. And I didn't have my contacts in, and he had a white Minnesota or a white license plate. I couldn't tell if it was a collector's plate or possibly a whiskey plate or, a, or just a plain pl- plate. Mm-hmm. But I was again just like, wow, that's again another example of an unmarked car around here and someone I don't recognize. And I'll be honest, like, even though I live a little bit paycheck to paycheck living in the North Loop, the North Loop doesn't really have a lot of folks like that around there. Let's just be honest. So, I'm I'm pretty keen on who is coming in and out of my building, and I had no idea who it was. Hmm. Zero idea. It's so creepy. It's scary. It is creepy. It's that's so such creepy. a good. That's such a good word for it because it's just so mysterious and creepy. And I will say that that we all, I believe, can be unified in despising those people. Like like those are the people that I have no time for. If I was the cops, 
I'd arrest them all, throw them in jail, and say, in two weeks, we'll sort it out. Dude, it is, I don't care it about is your rights. And then, like, your rights. Creepy is a great word for it. There's been all these reports and photos of suspicious small groups of like three to four mostly white male groups in suburb areas or just like neighborhood areas yeah. putting together either you know, like like trash can with like you know, in, you know, flammable things inside, like basically setting up for potential fires later. And I've seen screenshots too on like Instagram stories and tweets from little group organizers saying things like, "Tonight we move to the white suburbs." Right? And who knows? Like, if this is just so, like random people clowning around on social do media. Do we think that that this this largely started on Friday night with the Wells Fargo fire? Could have that whole thing because because. The cops and National Guard were completely not prepared, but once they showed up, it was done. Mm-hmm. But it was as if because that whole thing just came up and then took you know and then took flight. Yeah, the National Guard presence essentially it, it seems that. like eliminated yeah. a lot of this stuff. But but when Wall spoke on, I, I believe it was it was Saturday morning, but it was like one thirty or something like that. That's when he insinuated that it was drug cartels, which I think they dropped pretty quickly. But then he also said it's these people who are coming into the state. And and you almost had the feeling like somebody, intelligence-wise, had identified certain threats, yeah. like to the Capitol on Saturday as well, Phil. And that they were saying that these that this is where these guys had stuff planted to actually pick up and try and start destruction that made it easy for them to yeah. do it. Can I bring up one other thing, too, related to this narrative? Because I think there's been a lot of politicizing of of whether the, the outsiders is a narrative or a reality, because a lot of people will say, well, you know, listen, if you're Governor Walls and you're Jacob Fry and you're uh, Melvin Carter, to cover up for your screw up and lack yeah. of police presence, yep. you need to come up with something. You can't just say, "Oh, we just totally underestimated how many people, how many local people are pissed off about this." Like it's got to be outsiders, right? Yep. So i i don't I don't know if actual like large contingencies of I know that some outsiders came in. I know that like I know that a lot of the things I've seen on social media, uh, like people being interviewed, even with assault rifles are coming in from out of the state. Like they're on camera with their max on being interviewed saying, yes, we came in from out of state. Um, but people are looking at the arrest numbers and saying like, Oh, well 45 people, because Melvin Carter screwed up and said, basically all the people that have been arrested are from, and that was a small state, group right? too. Well, it was like 45 arrests. Yeah, His stats weren't that big. Um, and so like 45 arrests and 38 were from inside the state of Minnesota. And a lot of people were using that to say, like, well, I mean, see, there's no outsiders coming here. Well, I would say is if there are groups of outsiders, whether it's Antifa or whether it's white supremacist group, I don't I don't know all the groups out there. There was another group. There's like the Boogaloo Boys yeah, and all these other like, talk to them. There's all I these. Saw that, yeah. So um, I don't know what groups are which and I don't know, like, which groups were infiltrating. But I do know that if you are part of an organized group that looks to wreak havoc and looks to cause anarchy off the back of an organized protest, you're probably not, like, getting pinned to the ground by a police officer outside the Speedway gas station on Friday night. Like, you're the police, the police weren't looking to stop all of their operations sweeping the city to arrest everyone in sight. So, like, yep. if you are a true organized group, 
you're probably not one of the 45 that was arrested. So we're never really going to know the full right. numbers but of like how many were from outside. I think it's very fair to say Wednesday, Thursday, and to me, Friday was egregious. The state and city did an awful job. And then yeah. they regrouped. And their comeback to that is, well, listen, like we already, like even you guys thought we did an awful job. We still have more police out there than at any point in Minnesota right, history. Police, it's like, yeah, but you underestimated but how bad this was. And here's the key thing, too. To me, the police, who, by the way, started this, unfortunately, um, the Minneapolis Police Department is probably okay at best. Mm-hmm. How you did not have the National Guard out in force on Friday night is beyond me. Mm-hmm. And, and, the leadership of this state has to own that. Like you had to be, you had to do what you started doing on Saturday, which was troubleshoot and chase everything. And the fact that they showed up at, at the, what, 5th Precinct and the Wells Fargo, which was ablaze by then, late. And by the way, once they showed up, it ended. Mm-hmm. How you were not there immediately, and I don't care how much of the National Guard you had to, to deploy, and there were all these reasons why, the blah, blah. I don't want to hear the excuses, Okay. You got, again, you got a gift on Tuesday, which is you got potential, rioting, protesting, and rain. By Wednesday morning, you got to have a full plan for Armageddon. I agree. And then to let it go through Friday. I think what people were tired of from Walls was, was one, he, he was late to the party. And then you almost started to get these excuses of, well, there's outsiders coming. No, just fix this. Yep. Like, this is not why the protests are going on. And And by the way, once they grab control on Saturday... They did a good job. The blame game that took place on Thursday and Friday it was, was appalling. I, I agree and then completely. everyone got like, if you just took everything that happened communication wise and from a law enforcement standpoint, tactically anyways, not you know, some of the individual incidents of like overusing their authority. Like I take issue with some of that, but tactically sure. and strategically to get rid of all the chaos, yep. everything from Saturday, Sunday seemed on point. Mm hmm. And you just wish that there was a way for it to have happened Thursday, Friday to save 100 but businesses. Friday morning, Walls finally spoke and ripped Jacob Fry. Saturday morning, or I guess we could call it late Friday, he got up there again and tried to defend him. And a reporter rightfully said, hold on a second, 12 hours ago, you ripped this guy. It, it was, it reminded me, not to be flippant, it's the worst handled media event I've seen in this town since the Love Boat Vikings. Like, they had no plan. And if you're going to rip Fry, that's fine, but continue to rip him. Like, don't, like, he tried try to say, no, he's doing a great job now. Well, that's BS. Yeah. Okay? So get your plan together. And, and this is one, this is one, Phil, where I don't want to hear, well, we didn't know it, it's a new, yeah. All right. COVID-19, I'm buying it's tough. I don't have the answers. I wouldn't claim to. Walls did a great job, a terrible job. I don't know. I think he did the best he possibly could. Until Saturday, he did not do the best he could. Mm-hmm. He he fumbled it. Jacob Fry did as well. And the only guy that I've come away from this entire thing actually consistently, and I might be wrong here, but I just like the guy because I sense no BS, John Harrington. John Harrington has been great. I sense no BS from him. He's not going to put up with this crap. Like, like, I think he looks at his... Superiors as you guys are idiots. Just get out of my way. Yeah. Yeah. John Harrington. I has really been, respect him. I think he's been the most consistent communicator. I think he's been the most consistent demeanor through all of this. Too. I agree completely. And if you're wondering if things are on the men here, uh, I'm just following Twitter right now as we record this middle of the day on Monday. And you have Jacob Fry and Bob Kroll through a statement going back and forth on Twitter. So there's that. All right. It's a wrap on this episode. I'm sure, of I'm sure, this is gonna, I'm sure it's going to help things, too. <laughs> oh, man. So, all right. Um, 
Well, I don't know what the rest of the week holds, but we know that we know that there's a lot to be learned and a lot to to do going forward here. And hopefully we can bring some sports presence back as quickly as possible to the show. And I think we'll probably start to do that tomorrow. But as long as our city is the attention and the centerpiece of this movement and these riots and everything that's happening in the country, we're going to talk about it. It's our city. So thanks for listening, and uh, if you could, please give us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple or wherever you're able to rate and review your podcast. See you guys tomorrow. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plug Door Chris Howard. University of Michigan QB J.J. McCarthy makes bold predictions but doesn't fulfill them, and Ohio State kicker Noah Ruggles misses an opportunity to etch his name in Buckeye lore. Fans love their teams and the players. That is, until they don't. When it comes to finger-pointing, you'll find no greater antagonist than the fan. Why? Because it means more to them, or so they believe. As a former player, nothing angers me more than armchair charlies accusing the teams of overlooking opponents or blaming players for providing bulletin board material. But leading up to the game, the fan is the one talking the most, boasting the most. When the team is winning, it's a lot of we talk. But when the team loses, it turns into they lost. You will never know what those moments feel like because you didn't put in the work to earn those feelings from those moments. That's the great thing about being part of a team. You win as a team, you lose as a team. We cry, we console our brother, we don't point a finger, we go back to work, back to the early morning workouts, the hill sprints, back to the bloody noses and broken bones. Why? Because it really means more to us. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fixed. And don't forget BetOnline for NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts.